Welcome to the teaching ministry at Magnolia's First. We hope the next few minutes will help you take your next steps on your faith journey. And we would love to help you take those next steps. Just head over to m1bc.org and fill out the connect form and a pastor will get in touch with you very soon. Or you can text us at 281-343-3033. Well, good morning, everyone. It's so good to see those of you here on the lower floor and those up in the balcony. You're kind of shining brightly up there as I look up. And uh, to all of you who are watching online, we are grateful that each week that you're at home and worshiping with us, that you can join with us uh, through the internet. I want to start the message by asking you to take a trip down memory lane with me. Would you do that? Uh, I want to ask you to think back to your years in elementary school. Now, for some of you, that's a longer trip than others. But think back to those years. Think of who in those years were your closest friends. All the way back to elementary school, if you've been able to keep connected with them all these years, then that's an incredible blessing. But for many of us, we we think back to people who perhaps we haven't seen in decades, but in those years, they were our closest friends. All right, move down the road with me just a little bit to secondary school, junior high school, or middle school and high school, and think of who your closest friends, maybe your very best friend during those times, and what that relationship or those relationships meant to you during those formative years of your adolescence, how valuable, how meaningful those friends were. Can you picture them? And now one more stop. Would you think about your adulthood? For teenagers in the next service, uh, we'll kind of be leaving them behind here. But for us, think about your adult years and the people that God has given you as your very best friends. And as you think of them, think of the darkest moment of your adult life the worst crisis, the most serious illness, the deepest grief, whenever that uh, time came in your life, who was there to support you and comfort you with their words or perhaps just their presence? And if you've taken that journey with me, you know how valuable those friends are, don't you? You know that they are like gold in your life as gifts from God. We all need friends. God made us uh, that way. That's why here at Magnolia's First, uh, you'll hear Pastor Seth and Pastor Milt talk so much about groups. Groups are so important because that's where you connect with people to grow spiritually together. That's where you, you make those friendships. And if you're in a Sunday school group or a a journey home group, or a Bible study group, you know that some of those people, some of those friends can be closer than your family, can they not? They become so meaningful. We all need friends. I came upon this list of what it means to have a good friend. Listen, see if you agree with this. A good friend lives with integrity. A good friend can be trusted For a good friend, dependability is their middle name. 
They're always there. A good friend is loyal. A good friend cares for other people more than themselves. A good friend is more willing to listen to you than to try to be talking to you. A good friend has confidence and faith that's contagious. A good friend just makes you feel better to be around them. And I know there are other qualities of a good friend that we we could all name, but those are the kind of people that we need in our life. And you know what? So did the Apostle Paul. All those centuries ago, the Apostle Paul needed friends, especially when he was in prison in Rome. And that's exactly where he was when he wrote the letter to the Philippians. Imprisoned in Rome. His life was filled with uncertainty. His future was was not fully known, whether he would be released from prison or beheaded from prison. And yet his primary concern was not himself and his potential future, but his primary concern was his friends, his brothers and sisters in the city of Philippi. In uh, all of his New Testament letters, now I didn't go through and count all of them, but I read a, a commentary that said that Paul in his New Testament letters mentioned more than 60 people as his friends and partners in ministry. But there's one person that he named more than any others. Anybody want to guess who that is? Timothy. Timothy. And we're going to hear about Timothy today. The very first mention, before we get to Philippians 2, uh, the very first mention we're going to look at of Timothy comes in Acts chapter 16. And so you can turn with me if you have your own Bibles, or of course we'll provide these verses on the screen. Acts 16, beginning with verse 1. If you know the book of Acts, you know it's the book of the history of the early church, and much of it is dedicated to the the church planting ministry of the Apostle Paul. Acts 16.1, Paul went first to Derbe and then to Lystra, where there was a young disciple named Timothy. His mother was a Jewish believer, but his father was a Greek. Timothy was well thought of by the believers in Lystra and Iconium, so Paul wanted him to join them on their journey. And there in Acts 16, a partnership, a friendship was formed between Paul and Timothy. And and Timothy served with the Apostle Paul for more than a decade, planting churches and growing the spiritual life of believers. And during that time, the Apostle Paul mentored him, and he observed him. And he saw in Timothy not just a good friend, though he was that, but he saw in Timothy a godly young man. Timothy would be a faithful companion and a partner to the Apostle Paul for the rest of his life. And I'm going to jump from the beginning of their relationship to the end of their relationship uh, because the Apostle Paul wrote to Timothy, Five years after he was released from Roman imprisonment when he wrote Philippians, 
But more than five years after that, he wrote to Timothy a pair of letters that we have in the New Testament is 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy. And the, the book or the letter of 2 Timothy was the last one Paul ever wrote. And here's what he said to Timothy as he began that last letter that would become Holy Scripture. 2 Timothy chapter 1, beginning with verse 3. Just hear the emotion from the heart of the Apostle Paul. Timothy, I thank God for you. The God I serve with a clear conscience, just as my ancestors did. Night and day I constantly remember you in my prayers. I long to see you again, for I remember your tears as we parted, and I will be filled with joy when we are together again. I remember your genuine faith, for you share the faith that first filled your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I know that same faith continues strong in you. Can you just hear the apostle's heart for his young friend? Timothy was Paul's trusted friend, his faithful protege in the work of the gospel. He was like a son to the apostle. And when Paul needed someone, he knew he could depend on Timothy. So think about the book of Philippians. Think of the era in which it was written. There was no technological communication. Nobody was texting anybody. There weren't even flip phones yet. Uh, there wasn't even what we typically call now snail mail. The U.S. Postal Service that we can put a letter in the mailbox or drop it off at the post office and it will eventually get to, to someone no snail mail. They had to depend on personal delivery, either a written letter that would be taken physically and given to the recipients or a verbal communication that could be repeated from one person to another or to a group of people. And so when the Apostle Paul had life-changing truth and personal communication that he wanted to to be sent to those brothers and sisters he loved so much in Philippi. He entrusted that to two men, and we'll see both of them in today's passage. And one of them was Timothy. So let's go to our text. We're working our way through the book of Philippians, that letter of Paul to those believers. And uh, this morning we begin in chapter 2, verse 19. Philippians 2, 19. If the Lord Jesus is willing, I hope to send Timothy to you soon for a visit. Then he can cheer me up by telling me how you are getting along. You see, Paul had this issue. He was separated from the Philippian believers geographically. He was in Rome. They were in Philippi. But he was not separated from them in his heart. He still deeply cared about their spiritual health, about the progress of their faith journey, and the success of the mission of the church in Philippi in that community that was planted by God there to take the gospel to that part of the world. 
He was concerned about their faithfulness to the mission of the gospel. Cindy and I will be retiring soon. We will be separated from you geographically, though Montgomery's not far. We expect some of you folks to show up at our house from time to time. Bring food when you come. But we will be separated geographically to a degree. But can I tell you this with all sincerity from both of us? We will never be separated from you in our hearts. You will always be precious to us. I I identify with what Paul was saying here. Though I will no longer be your pastor, I will always be concerned about your spiritual health and your spiritual growth and the success of this church in the mission to engage every generation to become Christ followers. And we will pray diligently for the leaders of this church and for each one of you. We know that though God has had us here for a season, and I'm so thankful it was an extended season of more than three decades, we know that now that that season's coming to an end, God is going to put the right leaders in the right places of leadership, and the mission of this church will continue till Jesus comes again. Because God is faithful. Paul said in verse 20, I have no one else like Timothy who genuinely cares about your welfare. Wow. And then a contrast in verse 21. All the others care only for themselves and not for what matters to Jesus Christ. Paul is being brutally honest here that there is a stark difference and contrast between different people who aspire to be leaders in God's church. But here's what he's saying. A man or woman who is truly godly demonstrates that by how they care more about others than themselves. They care more about others. Paul had seen that in Timothy. He'd watched him. He'd watched how he he reacted to people who weren't kind to him. He he watched how he ministered to people who were hurting. He watched how he led people who were looking to him for guidance. He saw in Timothy a deep love and devotion to Jesus and how that produced in him a deep love for other people and devotion to the body of Christ. You see, here's what Paul understood. If you truly love Jesus, you'll care more about the people around you than you care about indulging yourself. And can I just say, those who are preaching a a prosperity gospel, that God's job is to make you rich and keep you healthy all the time, or they're trying to say God is just a big brother who will help you live your best life now, that is a self-centered, focused message. The gospel in New Testament form is other-centered. It's servant-hearted. And Timothy had proven that he had that kind of heart, that kind of life by his actions, and Paul had seen it. He said in verse 22, but you know how Timothy has proved himself. Like a son with his father, he has served with me in preaching the good news. 
I love what Paul says about Timothy. Timothy, who genuinely cares about your welfare. Timothy had what we call a shepherd's heart. He loved God's people. He sacrificially cared for God's people. And that is vital for a pastoral leader in the church. As you begin this process, as next Sunday you'll be electing the pastor search committee, understand that yes, your next pastor will will need to be able to preach and teach well. That's important. Your next pastor will need to be able to lead with a vision and lead effectively. But also, your next pastor must have a shepherd's heart a shepherd's heart, to love God's people and care for God's people. And can I just tell you that we are blessed to have pastors like that on our pastoral staff? We are. I know them. I have watched them. Pastor Milt, Pastor Daniel, Pastor Seth, Pastor Jeff, Pastor Dalton, they are all pastoral people. They are people with shepherds' hearts, and that's why this congregation is healthy. Paul said about Timothy, verse 23, I hope to send him to you just as soon as I find out what is going to happen to me here. You see, he could send Timothy because Timothy had no agenda of his own. Timothy was not trying to to, to to build his own ambition. He was not trying to find his own advancement. He had a servant's heart. He had a heart for God's kingdom. And because of that, the Apostle Paul entrusted him. Here he's entrusting Timothy to take a message to the the church in Philippi. Later on, the Apostle Paul would appoint and install Timothy as the pastor of the church in Ephesus. We'll talk more about that in a moment. But verse 24, Paul says, and I have confidence from the Lord that I myself will come see you soon. Now, does that mean that the Roman officials had come to Paul and said, Paul, don't worry, you're going to be out of here soon? No. Had there been anything happen that would give him that kind of assurance and confidence? No. You know what he had? He had discernment. He had spiritual intuition. He had a connection with God. He just knew in his heart God wasn't through with him yet. And so he concluded with a degree of confidence that had no external rational proof, but just a conviction of his heart that God was going to to release him and allow him to, to continue to serve and build and grow churches, and he did. But he said, even if I never see you again, he had complete confidence in Timothy that godly man, that gifted teacher, that dynamic leader, that loving shepherd, he had confidence in him. And Paul stressed to to Timothy when he was pastoring in the church of Ephesus, 
what a young pastor ought to know and do. I want to take a quick detour again to 1 Timothy. Look with me at these words from Paul in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 10 through 13. Paul said to Timothy as he was pastoring in Ephesus, this is why we work hard and continue to struggle. For our hope is in the living God who is the Savior of all people and particularly of all believers. Now look at his instruction Teach these things. Paul had told him things that were important to be taught. Teach these things and insist that everyone learn them. Don't let anyone think less of you because you are young. Some of us can't say that anymore, but Timothy could. Paul says, be an example to all believers in what you say, in the way you live, in your love, your faith, and your purity. Until I get there, focus on reading the Scriptures to the church, encouraging the believers, and teaching them. What a wonderful tribute to a godly young man named Timothy. But there was another person that Paul mentioned back in Philippians chapter 2, and he would also commission to go back to the Philippians. So go back with me to verse 25 of Philippians 2. Paul says, Meanwhile, I thought I should send Epaphroditus back to you. He is a true brother, co-worker, and fellow soldier. And he was your messenger to help me in my need. Uh, this is really interesting to me because where Timothy is mentioned numerous times in the New Testament, Epaphroditus is mentioned only here. Only here in this part of the letter to Philippians. So who was he? And what role did he have to play? Paul said in that 25th verse, he was your messenger to help me in my need. What's he saying? Epaphroditus brought finances, financial support from the Philippians to Paul when he was in prison in Rome. Paul had no means to make income, so he depended, like all pastors do, on the generosity and the faithfulness of God's people to meet their needs. And so Epaphroditus was the one. It couldn't just be wired to him or a check in the mail. It had to be taken, financial support taken physically and so Epaphroditus was the one that the church entrusted to deliver the love offering. What trust they put in this man that he would deliver those funds to take care of the apostle while he was in prison for preaching the gospel. Epaphroditus, he wasn't a pastor. He wasn't an apostle. There's no mention of great gifts or, or talents, but it was obvious that he was faithful and trustworthy. So trustworthy that the Philippian church would entrust to him what must have been a large financial gift for the needs of the apostle Paul. 
But the fact that he was a Christ follower, even a faithful Christ follower, even one with godly character, uh, even a a model in the church uh, of Philippi, follow me here, did not exempt him from suffering and difficulty in his life. Because here's what we know. Epaphroditus became ill seriously ill. We don't know the the kind of illness, but uh, we'll see that it was quite serious. And news of that illness had gotten all the way back to, to his home in Philippi and to that church, to his brothers and sisters, and they were greatly concerned. Verse 26, Paul said, I'm sending him because he has been longing to see you. And he was very distressed that you heard he was ill. Notice he wasn't distressed because he was ill. He was distressed because he was concerned of how that news would affect his brothers and sisters back in his home church in Philippi. And so the Apostle Paul sought to put their minds and hearts at ease. Verse 27 And he certainly was ill. In fact, he almost died. But God had mercy on him and also on me so that I would not have one sorrow after another. Can I just say verse 27 is packed with rich truth? It is loaded with necessary theology about life in a sinful world. So let me unpack at least some of it because it is still so relevant to us today and will touch some of you because of what you're going through or someone you love is going through in your life this very day. Here's a statement I want to pull from that, from that truth in verse 27. Don't blame sickness and suffering on God. But understand that it is part of life for everyone living in a fallen world. Everyone, unbelievers and Christ followers alike. Do you have somebody you really care about that's going through an illness, a disease, a sickness, maybe even a terminal illness? Then I want to encourage you, don't ask Why did God do this to me? Or why did God do this to them? Can I tell you, God is never the source of evil. Sickness and disease and suffering are a result of the fall of man in the Garden of Eden and sin infected and infested this world from that day to this day. And it's a part of life for everyone whether you are a Christ follower or not. And people who teach theology that if if you jump through certain theological hoops that God will keep you healthy is lying to you because God's people get sick. God's people can become ill or get a disease. So don't blame God when that comes. It's just a part of life. Now, Could God intervene and keep that from happening and bring healing? Of course. We pray for people every week here at the altar. 
We pray that God would send his healing mercy. And that's what he did for Epaphroditus. He intervened. He made him well. He delivered him from, from sickness. And so we ask sometimes, because we pray for those who are sick, why does God sometimes intervene and heal people, and other times he allows the, the results of sin through sickness and disease to run its course and sometimes even bring death? What causes God to, to heal sometimes and not other times? People have been waiting for me to answer that question, so I'm going to answer that question. We don't know. We don't know. For us to try to understand the heart and mind of a sovereign God is like trying to teach quantum physics to a squirrel. We just don't know. But here's what we do know. We can trust our God. We can trust our God. Even with the physical lives of the people we love. Suffering sickness, disease, and death will be a part of this fallen world for believers and unbelievers alike until that day Jesus breaks through the clouds and he comes to redeem his creation and conquer sin, death, and the grave. And there will be no more where he will take us for eternity. So how are we to look? Epaphroditus was healed, and sometimes we pray over people here, and they're healed, and we praise God for that. We believe in God's healing. We believe that we're supposed to do what James chapter uh, 4 says, and, and, or is it 5? Anyway, the book of James says, and anoint people and pray over them. No magic to it. It's just a statement of our faith in the power of a healing God. But here's what we know. Sometimes God does not intervene, and people suffer. But listen, look at this statement. When we are healed or given another day of life, it is only by the mercy of a loving and caring Heavenly Father. It is only from His hand. Follow me here. God does not owe us life. God does not owe us health, but when he gives it, it's a gift. I quoted this passage to a friend this week about how every good thing in life comes from the hand of our God. Look, the book of James chapter 1, verses 16 and 17. James said, don't be misled, my dear brothers and sisters. Love this. Whatever is good and perfect... It's a gift coming down to us from God our Father who created all the lights in the heavens. He never changes or casts a shifting shadow. He always has been, he is today, and he always will be a good God, a loving Heavenly Father. And even in the worst of times in this life, when we lose someone we loved. It is normal and healthy to grieve. But for Christ followers, it is not to be a grief that is hopeless. It is to be a grief 
that is filled with hope. The Apostle Paul acknowledged that if Epaphroditus had died, he would have grieved. He said, so that I would not have one sorrow after another. He acknowledges here that the loss of a loved one in this life is is painful, and the sorrow and grief is real and powerful and deep. But when that loved one was a Christ follower, and when you are a Christ follower, though that grief is real and powerful and deep, it is temporary. It is temporary. I want you to see what what he wrote to another church. Follow me with this. The church in Thessalonica, they did not have the New Testament, remember, yet. And people in their congregation were dying. And can I tell you, over 33 years, that's one of the most difficult things of a pastor. I have a folder of, of, this is not in my notes, so I hope I don't get myself in trouble again, but I have a folder of of notes of sermons that I preached at funerals and, and the memorial bulletin. And, and can I tell you that stack is about like that of people in this congregation that I have loved and been a part of their service. And it's hard. And that was happening in the first century in the church in Thessalonica. And since they didn't have the scripture, they're going, what is going on here? What, what happens to these brothers and sisters who die? And so Paul wrote them what would become Holy Scripture in the book of 1 Thessalonians, chapter 4, 13 and 14. Look at his words. He said, and now, dear brothers and sisters, we want you to know what will happen to the believers who have died. Why, Paul? For what purpose? So that you will not grieve like people who have no hope. He's not saying you won't grieve, is he? He's saying, but so that you won't grieve like hopeless people. And then verse 14, for since we believe that Jesus died and was raised to life again, we also believe that when Jesus returns, God will bring back with him the believers who have died. What a glorious promise. What a glorious promise. Now, for people who have no faith in Christ, for people who ignore or reject the gospel, then death is a feared enemy because then it's over. It's done. There's nothing else. But for those of us who know Jesus and who have been given the gift of God's grace and eternal life by putting our faith in Christ, then then death... It's just a temporary separation. And though time means everything in this life, in eternity, time is like nothing. And the years that you have to wait for that glorious reunion are going to be like a blink of an eye in the span of eternity. But let me say this. To anyone here in the worship center anyone watching online, anyone listening to the podcast or watching the recorded service uh, online, let me just say this. If you are not a Christ follower, 
If, if you have never put your faith in Christ, if you have never been born again, if you have never received the gift of God's salvation through faith in Christ, listen, if you are not yet a Christ follower, what I just said alone ought to shake you out of your unbelief and cause you to put your faith in Christ. Because this life is not eternal, this earthly life. But there is eternity, and we will all spend it somewhere. And if we are Christ followers, we will spend it with our fellow believers in the glorious home of our Savior. But for those who do not know Christ or reject his gospel, you will be eternally separated from a loving God and everything that is good. So Paul concludes this passage, verse 28, back in Philippians 2. He's speaking of Epaphroditus. He says, so I'm all the more anxious to send him back to you, for I know you will be glad to see him, and then I will not be so worried about you. Welcome him in the Lord's love and with great joy, and give him the honor that people like him deserve, for he risked his life for the work of Christ, and he was at the point of death while doing for me what you couldn't do from afar. It was not that Epaphroditus was homesick. It was that Paul knew that they feared that they had sent him on a death mission, that he would die carrying out delivering the financial gift to the apostle. And Paul knew that his triumphant return back to the church in Philippi would buoy the confidence of that congregation and energize them to spread the gospel, the good news of hope and eternal life in Jesus Christ throughout their mission field in Philippi and beyond. And it did exactly that. So, as we wrap all this up, what can we take from this? So, I'm just going to leave you with two statements. Here's the first. If you don't have a Timothy in your life, ask God to show you someone who needs that kind of friend and be one. Remember the, the descriptives I made of a good friend? They live with integrity they're trustworthy, they're dependable, they're loyal, they care about others more than themselves, they listen more than they talk, their confidence and faith is, is contagious, spending time with them just lifts you up. You know what? Until you can be that kind of friend, you won't have that kind of friend. So if you need that kind of friend, look for someone else who needs that kind of friend and become a Timothy to them. Second last statement. Be thankful when God shows mercy and put your hope in him in times of pain and loss. I cannot tell you 
that you will not have times of pain and suffering and disease. I cannot tell you that you will not grow ill and eventually die because guess what? Unless Jesus returns, we're all going to die. But as his children, by faith, we don't have to fear death. In fact, we can look forward to it because he has a place prepared for us, John 14 says. In my Father's house, I like the King James here, are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. And if I go, I will prepare a place for you. And I will come again and take you to be with me so that you may be where I am. Hallelujah. There'll be no sorrows there. No more burdens to bear. No more sickness. <laughs> no more pain. No more parting over there. But forever I will be with the one who died for me. Oh, what a day. Glorious day that will be. Stand and sing it with me. What a day that will be when my Jesus I shall see. When I look upon his face, the one who saved me by his grace. When he takes me by the hand and leads me through the promised land. What a day, what a day, glorious day that will be. Heavenly Father, we look forward to that day. I pray for anyone that might have heard this message and they're not prepared for that day because it will not be to heaven but to eternal separation because of their rejection of the only one who can save us from sin and give us eternal life. But for those of us who know you by faith, Though we are not, like Paul, anxious to leave this life, we want to be used by you here as long as you have purpose for us. Lord, we do not fear that day because we know that we shall see those that we love who've gone before and we shall spend eternity in beauty more majestic and wonderful than our minds can comprehend, but most of all, we will be in the presence of our Savior. Lord, we close this service with a time of prayer to you. I pray for those whose hearts are heavy and they need to pray with someone. Help them not to be too proud to come and to pray with one of our deacons and their wives that will be here and available to pray. Lord, if there are those who are sick, just as Epaphroditus was sick, and they need the same healing that you gave to him that helped them to come and allow Cindy and I to pray over them and anoint them with oil. 
not forcing you to do what is not in your plan, but responding to the faith of those who pray to be healed. We don't understand all that, but we believe it, and we seek to be obedient to it. So we give you these next few moments. May God's people respond in any way that pleases you. In Jesus' name, amen.